Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, The Final Cut. In the year 2021, everyone records everything. But in the year 2004, that was sci-fi. I feel like maybe a few less things are recorded now. By you. Unless you have like, like, I don't know, you know, cameras in your house, which maybe you do. And you have not been around many Gen Zers. <laughs> they record everything. Okay, okay, <laughs> good point. Yeah, we record everything these days. Um, we, we, you know, have our little tracking devices in our pockets here, right? <laughs> Surveying. Yep. I, I, I have had the, I've had a conversation on the phone and then got ads for it the next day, so. Well, that's one way in which uh, George Orwell's 1984 got something wrong. Uh, Big Brother didn't kick down our doors and install surveillance equipment. We did it ourselves. I keep it in my pocket because it's convenient. (laughs) Although I did get a weird leg infection a few years ago. Maybe that's because of the phone. Oh, is that a phone in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? That's right. It's an infection in my pocket. (laughs) And Matt, who are we happy to see today? It's uh, Ken Ami coming back. You're pretty much almost a regular here, writer of <laughs> transhumanist, uh, occultist, interesting books. You can go in deep rabbit holes with Ken's books. So thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so I didn't know this film existed. I think See, I was going to just let me pause a sec. That's one thing I love is to introduce sci-fi nerds to some movie they've never heard of before. Right. Um, and I, I realized I, I probably would have, but this was 2004, which is the year I first came to Japan. And I had like a people put the, wrap your head around this now, like a two month complete, like electronic blackout. You know, I had no connection to anything for two months. Luke, did you have that when you first came to Japan? You have your blackout period? Somewhat, but Wi-Fi was very prevalent. So oh, okay. Was, uh, when I was at my hostel or whatever, I had it. Yeah, this was 2004. Or so but when I went, um, I did go and stay on a farm for like just under a month. And I had zero Wi-Fi, zero connection to any any electronics then. Yeah, so I just lived in the mountains, wrote a book, picked vegetables. It was great. <laughs> so especially a summer of 2004, I wouldn't have known like much of what was going on. I finally, near the end of summer, managed to know Spider-Man 2 had come out and like planned out my first major solo trek in Japan to go see it because the um, theater was about... I don't know, eight, nine kilometers away. So I learned to ride a bicycle in, in order to do that. Because I learned to ride, I learned to drive a bus when I was 21, but I learned to ride a bicycle when I was 25. <laughs> so unlike Matt, I actually did see this film when it came out back in 2004. Uh, at that point in time, we, I was still obviously living at home. I was 13, 14. My uncle would supply us with all the latest movie releases because, uh, you know, he had legitimate backups that he made to protect his discs, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So basically, we were watching any 
sort of sci-fi or action movie that came out at that time. So no matter how obscure, if it was in the blockbuster, we probably had a copy in one of our big binders full of labeled with a pen discs. So I remember it. I remember the the concept very well, but none of the beats of the film, which I think speaks to this film's strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, very high concept. For me, uh, these this is the kind of film I would have seen if I wasn't in that weird period, because I even went to see like Sim 1, right? You know, of course, Gattaca, that's a great one that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, other films like that, you know, I, I, I would go out to see the high concept sci-fis. This just happened to be in the window where I didn't. <laughs> right. Um, Deja Vu wasn't too long after this. I did see that in the theater. So. <laughs> is that the Denzel Washington one? That's right. He's time traveling. Uh, so Ken, you, you brought this one our way. Um, so obviously it's, it's piqued your interest in a certain way. Now I probably watched this when I discovered it, which was just a couple of years ago. And it's not, well, I find that it's just within the, um, Robin Williams genre, this one is virtually unknown, mm. right? I mean, if you say Final Cut Robin Williams, uh, most people don't, just do not recognize this movie as being one in which he starred. And I, I would imagine, I, I'm pretty sure I ran across it just when I was researching transhumanism and then figuring out that, well, I think I want to do a book of movies on trans humanist themes and just happened to run across this one on some or another list and was really shocked like this is a robin williams movie what no never heard of this but uh yeah i think it um it had a lot going for it thematically in terms of the potential that uh, this sort of high tech would have on the world well, think of it just being just before the, um, you know, Facebook really didn't get lift off until two or three years later. And the re- I, I, do, we, do we have MySpace in two? We had MySpace already, I guess. And, yeah. and- it's also the fact that we had the phones, but not the like the smartphones where it's so easy to just open your camera. Zap right. We had the flip phones. Yeah. Again, that first time I was in Japan, I would have to go to the, um, like the NTT office where they had computers you could use or the public library and then do it from there. You know, we didn't have the mobile stuff and I didn't have a phone at all uh, for the first few months. So, And that- thank God when I was younger, we didn't have any such devices because I would hate to see what I would have recorded and posted <laughs> back oh, in the day. That. Yeah, you can see a bunch of dumb shit I made when I was in my teens. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I still stand by some of it. I think it's great. <laughs> you see, Luca uh, mutilating himself for YouTube, <laughs> tacking snowmen, doing Batman stunts. Yeah, poorly. Doing horse tattoos. Horse. But he yeah, horse tattoos. Oh, I got covered because it's got my ex-girlfriend's horse. Oh, that yeah. one. That one. Can't okay. Sorry, I was yes, that. I bring it up every episode. <laughs> I just remember the Triforce most of the time, <laughs> but um. Before we delve a little deeper in this, I guess I will go ahead and summarize.
Alan Hackman's childhood trauma is accidentally leading another child, Lewis, to an abandoned warehouse death at age 10. He's now 51 and a cutter, a person who edits the life of the recently deceased. All of their life memories have been recorded by an eye corporation, Zoe Implant, and it is the cutter's duty to edit those memories into a respectful two-hour movie. Since cutters will see the warts and all the visions of their subjects, they cannot have the implants themselves. Alan has been tasked with cutting the life of I-Core scumbag Charles Bannister. Things get shady quickly as Fletcher, a former cutter, offers Alan half a million dollars for the footage, and Alan discovers that Bannister had been diddling his own daughter. He also finds footage of an adult Lewis, who did not die in the warehouse incident, but instead a year ago at age 50. Alan goes as far as to break into the Zoe archives to find Lewis's memories. He fails in that regard, but discovers that he himself has a Zoe implant and embarks upon a dangerous procedure to scan his own memories. It does heal his lifelong trauma, but Fletcher still wants the Bannister data. Though it has been destroyed by Alan's way too angry, well, not way too, that must be a spell Way too check. young, angry. It's a way too young, angry I girlfriend. There it. we go. I got my synonyms <laughs> a little mixed up. Fletcher has also learned that Alan has an implant, and thus his implant has seen the Bannister footage. He has his henchman take out Alan in a graveyard and puts the footage incriminating Bannister online. He's an end justifies the means sort of guy. said it's a robin williams film so i guess we should talk about robin williams a bit here um this was a weird one because I, I feel like i haven't seen much of his films in the past few years it's almost like too depressing to watch since he's died and and here we get faced with like a full-on depressing robin williams <laughs> i wonder if that's a big reason why it doesn't have a following now even after his death because who wants to watch a grim robin williams movie right again now? he's very good oh he's great but <laughs> but if you're like Oh, I miss Robin Williams. I'm going to go watch a Robin Williams film. You're not going to pick this. <laughs> yeah, see, my thought was, I miss Mork. I want to see Mork. <laughs> <laughs> you do not get Mork here. That, that's for sure. Oh, I've got a parcel arriving. Oh, uh, Luke has a passage, a passage, a package. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the ringing or not. But, I'm uh, good. We can do a, a live a package unveiling. We might have a live uh, Luke tries to speak broken Japanese to the guy that's <laughs> oh, let's, let's listen in folks yeah <laughs> nice. uh, they normally if it's a package they know they're going to get a foreigner because they can see my name just tell them but uh yeah uh well Ken, well, no, no, let's see the package what do you got come on it doesn't look like we have a package do we not they've got to come up the stairs I mean, oh he beeped them in there's like a delay uh, factor so <laughs> if you want to talk All about right. robin williams in the meantime <laughs> Sure. Uh, I mean, there's, I don't even know how many movies he made. Uh, there's some I've just not been interested in enough to watch, but it is a fact that he could do the comedy and he could do the drama and he could do both very well. 
So in this case, um, because the storyline is of him having suffered a terrible childhood trauma, which he carries around with him, then he's in a sense very much stuck in a rut in his emotions and in his life. So in fact, um, he's told uh, with, by his apparent girlfriend in the movie that he needs to start living his own life instead of being so cloistered and watching other people's lives go by on the screen, right? So, but you could see how he would feel the guilt of living and enjoying his own life because he thinks that he is responsible for the life of the boy. When they were playing together and the boy died, he has carried that with him. So he obviously feels like he does not have a life of his own to live. He doesn't deserve that. He took a life. And so now he devotes his life to cleaning up, shall we say, the lives of others. In fact, it is said that he is the cutter that looks at the ugly stuff. Right, right, exactly. When, yeah, and we're talking, uh, I would say that one of the aspects that struck me is that he's working most most of all for the elitists. It's just cleaning up those nasty bits of their lives. And uh, he is accused of that, that he makes lies of them. And he takes murderers and makes them saints, right? So he's the guy known for dealing with the worst of the worst, and then putting them forth as having been, um, you know, upstanding members of the elite society when they were like, as you mentioned, um, in, in the case of the the main one we're dealing with, the man who passed away was a pedophile. Well, he's he's going to clean that up. That's just going to go away, right? Right. The, um, the line which um, he had to defend that, I actually really liked where he said, I'm just good at forgiving people when it's way too late to punish them. Okay. See, I was going to throw out the line about his, uh, I'm a sin eater. I live slightly outside of society. Okay. You know, that's his right. excuse for not having his own life, basically. The right. other the other one I liked was she, he said, um, she was talking about how, oh, these people don't have any respect for the dead. He said, I don't care about the dead. I have respect for the living. <laughs> like, he's not doing this to protect that person's memory. He's doing it so the family can move on. Right. And the wife the had told him that her deceased husband deserves to be remembered as a great man. Are we sure? And whether <laughs> she knew what he was up to or not, uh, that's kind of the point, is that he is the sin eater. He is going in to remove that sin and presenting these people as a great, great man, whereas, um, so the point of the, the implant is that obviously you would literally see everything that they saw through their eyes and hear everything they heard through their ears. So the cutter knows absolutely every possible, most intimate detail of a person's life. I mean, how horrible would that be, incidentally? Uh, <laughs> I mean, some people's lives are open books, okay? But there's a lot of books I don't want to read. <laughs> and so this touches uh, upon the issue of the cutters not being allowed to have the implants because obviously if if they're watching what the other person watched throughout their whole lives then then that's what ends up um, turning basically the implant in his brain into a commodity that was desired 
It's kind of a futuristic Santa Claus. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Once you're dead, that is. Yeah. <laughs> now, Zoe is a Greek word for life. And and you noted in the in the notes you mentioned if you if the, all the eyes meant anything, and obviously it is. It's recording through the eyes, right? The company's called iTech. And yeah, that, that was the little strain of sarcasm I have left living in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, you definitely need to post your show notes on the on the webpage for these uh, episodes because <laughs> they're the like Patreon stream of button. consciousness, you know, I love yeah, it. There you go, but, uh, on the Patreon. <laughs> but so the concept is that when a baby is born, the implant is inserted into their brain and it's organic. So it grows along with the brain. Now we don't have anything exactly that high tech yet, but um, for example, something called eat memory which is kind of a low-tech version, but it's something that you would wear on your head and it would literally record everything that's going on around you. That, that's already been around for years. It's not like people are walking around doing that. It's not popular, but it's out there already, that sort of thing. Well, people wear like the GoPro for like when they're doing like extreme sports or something or, you know, adult videos. So <laughs> we are with, but obviously everyone can see you're wearing a, camera on your forehead so it's not right. like you're discreetly recording i just right. saw um an article maybe you did too because we, we have this thing called i get it off the internet called breaking news english just for teaching private lessons sometimes and uh, it was a uh, mitsubishi makes a mind control car it didn't really say i mean maybe it's just turning on your air conditioning i don't know if it's actually like maneuvering the car but the idea is it would uh, map your your brain responses mm. and you'd be able to you know think of things for the car to do well i think um hawking was using a lot of that sort of thing by the end because he couldn't even like type and move his cheek. Right, right. So they have, they had, there are a lot of, I think it's electroencephalogram. Mm -hmm. It's getting pretty decent even 10, 15 years ago. And I remember in the movie Firefox with Clint Eastwood, he was tasked to go to Russia and steal a super high tech secret airplane that was controlled by thoughts. But since the Russians built it, he had to think in Russian in order to get the plane to do what he wanted it to do. I hope he watched the Clockwork Orange. <laughs> <laughs> Learned his Russian by uh, osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, Jesus is in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was watching it. Um, I, I, the only thing I remember about this film were the vague elements of the plot and Robin Williams himself. So when I'm watching the opening credits and it says Jim Caviezel, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in for a ride. Do you know and, much and about this dude? Not a whole lot. I actually was letting you say the name because I don't think I've ever heard it. So yeah. obviously he did Passion of the Christ. He then went on to do um, this uh, TV show. I think it's Person of Interest. Right. Which is very much in keeping with this movie. It's all, all about super secret high tech. Yeah, it's about like they have an algorithm that identifies criminals or whatever, and he gets to them. But um, turns out the dude is batshit insane. <laughs> How so? Like on set, he would just be like, it, like he claims to be this super Christian guy, but then he de he demanding more and more and more violent scenes all the time, <laughs> to the point they had to just write the show around him never getting to do any fights or stunts because he would just like punching and throttling co-stars and crashing cars and shit constantly. 
Um, and now he's super all in on the like QAnon children adrenal crumb foaming shit. And he's making a uh, based on a true story movie about the guy who apparently shut down the underground child trafficking rings that was collecting children for Hillary Clinton to eat their blood or whatever. Well, at least it's shut down then. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the one thing I definitely did not like about this movie was his fake beard. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just wanted to grab the edge and wonder it right off. Come on. How long could it possibly take to grow a beard that they would have to do that? He, he looked, because of the shit beard, he looked so much like the guy in the first Die Hard. You know, the like crap co worker you're just waiting for them to kill? <laughs> it just, it's the same like 80s, 90s, I think I'm a hotshot, shit eating grin beard that you just ate. Also, he's just not a great actor. <laughs> I mean, like fine every line felt like he was reading it off the cue. I, mean, I thought he was fine as you know the the somewhat nefarious presence. Well, maybe but maybe it's just that no one's going to look great when all of their scenes are just them and Robin Williams, right? Stealing <laughs> <laughs> show. Yeah, I, you could have nuanced it a little more because he he did come across as basically nefarious. But that, he also had a lot of exposition, right? So, not there are not many actors who are good at making that stuff work. Um, Mira Sorvino basically shows up as the woman, which <laughs> yeah, I was she, which the is... little twist where it turned out that he'd discovered her because he'd previously seen her in someone else's memories was right. Her uh, deceased nice, boyfriend, yeah, a nice part yeah. of the the concept. That's basically, but she herself now. didn't get to do very much, right? Yeah, well, she destroyed the Bannister data, but and, oh, yeah, and his whole she... system actually. <laughs> uh, let's talk about that system for a minute. You mentioned the hipster keyboard and um, that you would want a wooden keyboard. And yeah, the I like the computer equipment because it was it was somewhat toned down, a little retro and maybe reductionist steampunk, I would call it, because steampunk can be, get very elaborate, but this was more just reductionist, like... Uh, the the keys themselves and the whole setup were made of wood so that was very you know organic and it's very simplistic too right so in sci-fi movies they either tend to go away or everything has little knobs and flashing buttons and there's a thousand of them or, or just very minimalistic and, and i like the look of the equipment in this movie i actually think it rang very true because if this was a real service and like, you know, your grandfather had passed away and you wanted this guy to make this video. You wouldn't want it to be some hipster looking kid on his iMac, right? You want it to be like, is this calming older guy, he's going to sit down at this wooden, very traditional looking machine and he's going to do something. It feels like if this is part a big part of like the funeral process, you want it to be um, a very wooden, traditional, organic looking piece of kit. Well, they gave him a very, I mean, they gave him a very mortician not mortician but funeral home sort of vibe right yeah i mean from the start like he talks you know it's like the scene the big lebowski you know where how how we <laughs> the, the guy with uh trying to be as professional as he can as, as water screams at him but i'm actually not quite sure i want a wooden keyboard because i got a splinter a few weeks ago and then now it's it's still a bump so yeah <laughs> that was from an old japanese house um so yeah no what i want is like my Nintendo 3DS, just wood effect, but it's actually plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I want to be stabbing bits of wood with my 
especially when you type like I do. I only use my four fingers. I never learned how to type. Just about to be there on the wood. No, you know, I play guitar, so I'm quite interested in what wood goes into what guitars and what I'm playing. And mm. you know, when when I've when I've screwed up enough times, I'll just like inspect the grain of the wood on the guitar. Sometimes it's fun, right? <laughs> the meditation. Yeah, most I've of my life has been spent worrying what wood goes where. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, something I, I just noticed. I looked at like a couple user reviews on IMDb, and someone mentioned like, yeah, it's kind. Of, it's not so much of a future thing as a parallel reality thing because it's basically today i mean the, these implants have been going for at least 60 years right so yeah a lot of these though i've noticed this more in sort of the past 30 years where if you have a very high concept sci-fi like this it's the only sci-fi element in the film yeah gattaca in time definitely do that whereas when we watch more of like the the 70s sci-fi we'd be watching they'll have their main high concept but they also build a full sci-fi world around it. Hmm. Well, we just did Soylent Green where they pretty much did not. <laughs> but no, but they had, it wasn't just about the Soylent. There was also all these other elements of this world where it's overpopulated. Okay, there were a lot of changes, of course. Whereas here, it's yeah. very much where we live. In fact, it, it's where we live now, basically, at this point, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, we just don't have 50 years of detailed memories on one twentieth of the people. Hmm. But now let's keep in mind that since these are in installed at birth, then your parents decide for you and you almost don't have a choice. Uh, now, when we, you know, one of your notes said tattoos to erase memories is a flippy concept. So <laughs> the issue is, right, let's say that you're growing up and you realize you have this implant and it's recording everything you see in here then they developed these tattoos or really they developed ink that contains certain metallic alloys that if you get them tattooed on you, um, they interfere with the Zoe implants so it can no longer record. And so that's what some of the people in the movie are seen doing. Some of them with very elaborate face tattoos uh, to the point where when Alan goes to get his own tattoo when he finally learns unbeknownst to him he does have a zoe he wants to get that he doesn't want that he wants something very subtle uh, and he's told well he asked do i have to get my face tattoo and he's like no those guys are just rebels right they just want to make a point of showing it off but no you can just get a, a subtle one and he gets one behind his neck incidentally which looks like a pause button did you notice that yeah, yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> which is well, quite fitting, really. But it wasn't actually just tattoos because it was almost like a, a branding scar. It was yeah, partly it was tattooed it ink, was like yeah, and part raids. So anyhow, that was the, the point with that, is that, um, that there was a way to block this and prevent it from happening, even if you did still have the implant in your head, it wouldn't well, work it, anymore. She said it only blocks, it blocks going forwards. So everything up to that point is still recorded. And so, yeah, still accessible. No so so um, he went in and he got the tattoo to block the audio. And once that healed, he was supposed to go back and get the follow-up, which was the tattoo to block the video. But you know, he never got that far. But that's why his Zoe implant was still desired because it, it was it had still recorded up until... It, it, it was still recording a video 
and then it had recorded audio to the point of that he got the tattoo. So, right, that's why that was desired. The man who knew too much, yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah. and and the idea of how difficult it was to access his own memories. I mean, you think if it's like no, no, it doesn't matter till you're dead, and the cutter has a look at it. It's like you can't review your own memories, which seems like a design. I don't know. Well, is that, that sounds like well? a more useful technology than a technology that lets someone have a look when I'm dead. Yeah. I'd quite like to be able to like, oh, I don't really remember what happened on that. Well, like he does, right? Oh, well, he finds his his, his memory is wrong, whereas the recorded memory is that, different. That concept is interesting, the idea of how wrong we can remember things. For the film, I actually really didn't like that conclusion. Of course, that's a ten years ten year old's memory as well. Yeah, but I just it reminds me a lot of science fiction, a lot of time travel films. They use the time travel to basically um, just erase whatever the problem was. Yeah, which I find is just quite cheap storytelling. <laughs> let's let's elucidate that just for a second. So, the movie begins with a little boy Alan making a brand new friend because he's off somewhere. He doesn't actually live. They were vacationing or whatever. And so they go into this abandoned um, factory and they're crawling across a board over an open space. And Alan's kind of being a pushy little tough guy brat. So the kid follows him, even though he doesn't really want to, but you know, but we'll be boys and, and he ends up following. And uh, you see like a, just a stream of uh, blood uh, pooling on the floor and Alan goes down there to look at the kid and he said okay i mean this is just the bloody mess the kid's dead i'm out of here and then he leaves town and that's what haunts him for the rest of his life is because i encouraged this kid to walk that little plank he fell and died and so that's what he's carrying with him but then when he reviews the zoe implant recording he sees that the kid does move a little bit and that what he remembered as being a pool of blood was actually just a spilled can of paint that he was stepping on. And so in, in his memory, uh, he turned that whole scenario into something about which to be guilty, where the reality was, well, okay, yeah, the kid got hurt, but he didn't die. Well, even he, in terms of Alan's actions, the real version, he's telling him not to do it. He's right. Saying, that's stop, true. stop, yes. it's not safe. And the kid's like, nah, it's fine, he does it. Right, right, right. So it's almost like he increased his guilt. <laughs> he, he increased the part that he played in it just out of the guilt he felt for it. But it's that's one thi a thing people do, right? Like you often, you blame yourself for things. It's like, well, actually, other people make their own decisions. Like, <laughs> Yeah. But I, now an an another aspect of it. So this was a case of the Zoe revealing the true memory in place of the faulty, okay, the, the true, true recording in place of the faulty memory. But there are certain instances, however rare, where there's a defect in the Zoe implant and it can't discern between the reality of what a person's looking at or listening to uh, versus their dreams, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's recording dreams and then it becomes like a totally surrealistic uh, recording. So that's an interesting aspect too, which touches upon the real life concerns with hypnosis is what made me think of is that people talk about that, how, well, 
how can you guarantee that a, a patient undergoing hypnosis is actually recalling memories and not fantasies or dreams or desires or or whatever it may be? So that that's actually a real life issue. You know what I was? What it made me think of is I, I have a few like kind of uh, thumbtack memories. You know things that I can remember in quite detail. Of course, I, I guess we all do. But one of them is in the first grade, a, a large collection of bushes uh, outside of the school. And going in with their friends and you know playing and deciding it was a spaceship and my memories have an amber hued spaceship inside so i'm like what would zoe see because my memory is firmly spaceship i know it's just a bush <laughs> so yeah. right and in fact there was a, a odd little scene i i didn't quite understand where it's at the very beginning where somebody is watching their brother's um Rememory, and he says, "Wow, was that really the color of that boat? Because I remember it being green, but it wasn't green in the recording." But Alan tells him, "Well, maybe it was green." Well, wait a minute, but the recording showed that it wasn't green. It's well, just I mean, your that. There is the way, like none of us could know how someone else sees colors. Yeah, there's the idea so, of the consensus reality idea where we all come into a room and there's a chair there, but we're all actually in our own reality. So the chair may be a little different from yeah, perspective to perspective. His brother's eyes saw red, but this other guy's eyes might have seen green. Like the um, couple of years back, there was that dress that everyone was talking about on the internet. Is it white and gold with blue and black? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. What, what team were you, by the way? I actually, I saw it on different monitors and saw both colors. <laughs> so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to second that, actually, because, yeah, I, I, at first I was like, oh, I see this one. And then someone said, what about, well, I saw a different look at this. I'm like, oh, yeah, it is different on your phone. <laughs> yeah, it's different screens, right? Like, now, um, the, the only thing I could really make of that scene is that it was foreshadowing the latter part of the movie because you had a case of a recording showing one thing and a memory showing a different thing right oh well maybe it really was green like it was in your memory whereas in the case of alan that gets flips uh, flipped upside down it really wasn't like it you think it was in your memory the recording shows what it actually was who gets to what is the recording you just said flipped upside down so if it's just the optic nerve we got to flip all of the recordings anyway right because you're actually your brain has to flip everything back or are we getting the brain signals which would account for the dreams and you know the sheeple going into the uh, hotel and all that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there really were sheep going into the hotel i mean you know in somebody's reality yeah yeah <laughs> well maybe um, not the fish yeah maybe not the fish outside the car window but hey my secondary school, our head teacher was Welsh. So uh, I think on more than one occasion, kids on their final day of school did put sheep in his office. So... <laughs> <laughs> now, I did want to mention something. When I wrote my book reviewing the Alien and Predator franchises, hmm. one thing I did is I would look up the meaning of names. So the names of the characters and what they meant. And in that book, man, that paid off so well. I could virtually write character descriptions just based on the meaning of their names. 
And I've kept that up. So, for instance, my latest uh, series that I'm writing about movies with UFO and alien themes, I'm still doing that. It doesn't always pay off so well, but that's something I still pay attention to. So, for example, in this case, I thought it was ironic that the cutter's name, uh, last name is Hackman. Yeah, that was not no, no. <laughs> a little bit on the nose. <laughs> now, it's not spelled H-A-C-K. Yeah, it was H-A-K. Yeah, but still, like hack and and Alan Hackman with just the H A K M A N means precious shopkeeper, hmm. which means nothing in this case, or it's just uh, kind of talking about how he's the one who is keeping uh, the shop in terms of the uh, I'm kind of just uh, stretching just, uh, here. The precious okay. memories, right? So. But right, he he's turning memories, often horrible ones, into precious ones uh, because he's cleaning them up, right? So he's keeping the shop. And in fact, one scene I found very emotive and, ah, man, it was just kind of painful, okay, is when the little girl, the daughter, who has been abused by her father, uh, is talking to Alan and it denoted the effect that such a technology would have on the generation that's growing up with it. Because what she says is make my daddy forget. Are you going to make my daddy forget? Right? Well, her dad is already dead, Mm. but by make my daddy forget, she's referring to uh, just her little child mind's concept of what's going on and what this guy, this cutter is all about is can you make my daddy forget all these horrible things he's done, right? So that was very, very touching and disturbing, I must say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, it's well, they keep saying rememory, like this is now the person, which is right. I don't. Which is assume that you are your memories, which um, I don't think I'd want to abide by. But <laughs> well, if you're not that, what are you? Something else. <laughs> but yeah yeah the idea is this is the person now they're not physical anymore but yes their memory is now in this nice you know condensed um glamour shot you know um package but as as we've alluded to quite a few times that is something that's getting closer and closer to being the case oh audio issues audio issues but you know glamour shots I, I know the term glamour shots. That's 80s, 90s uh, malls in America. And they just like, you know, like they'd like tease. Usually girls would go there, right? They tease your hair. and uh, Like like they're using one of the photo booths they have here, basically. Yeah, but they'd actually set up this photo and they had like this cheese ball neon background and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So um, I was just thinking it would kind of be fun if some of these were turned into the glamour shots or whatever. <laughs> Let's see. 
So, Luke, uh, how would you feel about your life recording? You put some on YouTube anyway. That's what I'm, I'm, because I'm, I guess I am a generation removed from YouTube <laughs> in that I kind of am already doing that. <laughs> like I put, like, every trip I go on, I take a bunch of pictures of, you know, oh, that's a nice view, that's a nice temple. Put on my Instagram for my mum to look at and get a few likes. <laughs> um, I'm way less connected to social media than I was a couple of years ago. I'd mostly quit Twitter and Facebook. Uh, but also I put out these podcasts and I talk a lot about shit that I do. I don't have much of a filter on embarrassing stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, of course I'm doing all the podcasting. Um, you know, I, I, I've been taking a lot fewer photos. I guess it's kind of like my, um, you have certain energy for inspiration. I do the music, I do the podcasting mm -hmm. and, you know, something had to give. And that was photos. I barely shoot anything these days. Well, see, I, during the week, I don't take a lot of photos, but when I go for my hikes, part of the fun is looking for nice photos to take. Yeah, occasionally I'll still make a snap, but I, I guess I, I tend to, I walk a lot of, you know, country miles, but... Um, you walk the same miles every day, right? Yeah, and there's so, only so many photos, unless yeah. there's just amazing weather going on. <laughs> no, I think, I think it was in one of the National Lampoon vacation movies. I think it was the European vacation, where he's driving by, what is it? parliament in england right and he's just holding a camera out the window going like this and that's it right so in a sense it's almost like easy to replace the intimacy of elucidating an experience you had and you can describe what it was like or just saying hey look at this yeah there it is um that's... now one thing i don't know if i've mentioned this in past episodes but one thing i've told told my kids is you know nowadays you take a photo and everybody says let me see it whereas mm -hmm. a few years ago let me see it meant okay wait for who knows weeks or months until i finish the roll yeah. then when i'm done with the roll i'm going to take it to the store and it'll take them like a week to develop it so maybe a month or two later then you can see the, the, the you can see the photo yep one of the trippiest things i have is um i went to this hostel, this hostel in the forest in, um, in Georgia uh, it was my girlfriend at the time. And, oh, we forgot a camera. I think we we're using disposables. And there, oh, we have one. It was, um, it was actually like expired film, like several years, but I used it. And when we got the photos back, it looked like our little trip taken in the year 2000 came directly from 1974, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is I was going to say that too. Once you've waited a couple months to see the photo, if it's terrible, well, that's it. Yeah, tough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, what you're talking about with the National Lampoon thing is very true in Japan. Um, if I ever go to like any sort of historical building or waterfall or anywhere beautiful, I'm like, I stop, I take, you know, 10 minutes, take it in, enjoy a little stroll around it. Then I take my pictures. But you see these Japanese families turn up, picture, go. <laughs> and when, fact, I've been, when I've been out with my Japanese friends, that's all they want to do. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to stay here and enjoy it for a bit. <laughs> yes. Now, one time I had a, I was not too long ago because I still have a 35 millimeter camera. I was out taking some awesome photos of this city and we went to a city up north, man, some beautiful pictures. I'm like, okay, I think I'm out of film now. Let me rewind it. I opened it up. There was no film in it. <laughs> <laughs> that happens from time to time. I, I went to Disneyland and that happened. So, because I, I had this, um, it was like a Soviet camera. It's like a Lomo. 
Mm. So one, the lens is weird. Everything comes out like saturated and contrasty, kind of cool looking. Mm. But then you could also, it would shoot again if you didn't advance the film. So you could shoot as many images as you wanted. Like the exposures, right. Right, or triple. Like multiple or, exposures, yeah. Yeah, you could take as many as you wanted. Yeah. So um, I, I still have it somewhere. And I still have an undeveloped role from it, which will probably look like it's from 1963. Wow. Um, um, yeah, I would have finished that role probably 10 years ago. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I do just shoot with my phone now, you know, but, uh, but so because I did see this film, you know, 15 years ago, I actually have many times caught myself thinking if I, something's happened suddenly, I don't have time to take a picture, like an impressive animals across my, I've thought like, man, if only I was just recording my eyes. <laughs> yeah. So which I definitely don't think that agrees with. No, I, I, <laughs> very rarely take landscape shots because I'm like, what I'm seeing is not going to translate to a flat image. Yes. No, it's a bit of yes. There's times where I'm looking up at the sky at night and I think, wow, look at this. It's magnificent. Then you look at the photo and it's like all black with a white dot in the center. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, those can't capture. It can't capture the, the feeling and the tingling of your skin, cold, cool wind and everything. It just, it well, that can't. That's why photography is an art. Yes. Like a lot of the because everyone has a camera all the time these days, people don't realize that photography does take skill and talent and equipment. Um, so people and there's think, oh, genres why would it, too. Why would I hire like a there's the photographer. But see, there's a person who would be like, like, hey, um, I'm at a get together. Hey, everybody, stop what you're doing look over here, smile, and let me get a photo. So that's one kind of uh, capturing the moment. And another would be, everyone's doing something. I'm just going to capture whatever it just happens to be that they're doing. Uh, which, by the way, that second uh, genre is the one that I picked up from my dad. He was very much more of the style of just, I'm just here to capture what's happening. I'm not going to change the event uh, unless, you know, obviously there's times where you're going to say, okay, look at the camera and smile. But generally... I do prefer to just capture whatever is whatever is happening. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, now the phones uh, are all made with that uh, horrible uh, clickety clack sound. So everybody, oh, you just took a picture. Like, can this thing just shut up? Can it silently? <laughs> they've had that in Japan for years, and the reason is because the amount of people who were taking surreptitious upskirt photos on trains. <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, that might be the reason back in the West is just because when it's silent, yeah. you can take photos that people don't want you taking a bit too easily. <laughs> that is worth mentioning in the movie. Everyone's memory, it's just uh, audio and video. I mean, we are missing touch. We're missing... For me, I, I honestly think maybe my sense of smell is my strongest well, sense. I think people often talk mm. about smell is the most nostalgic sense. Yeah. Nothing takes me back to a time or place like a smell. Right. But yeah. yes, yesterday. Fact, mm. No, go on. I was just going to say yesterday. I was in jump my room. after you. I'd actually just finished a podcast. And I'm like, what's going on? Because the guy next door, he's smoking a cigarette. So that's wafting in my window. Um, someone was cutting grass. So that's wafting through my window. And then something, it's just a weird smell. And it turned out the missing element was my uh, mother-in-law preparing garlic. Uh, you know, on the first floor, and just the three of those, it was the most bizarre scent. Mm. <laughs> but uh, sorry, well, your point. <laughs> I was just going to mention uh, olfactory memories, which I find are pretty rare. But I've had a couple occasions where I smell something, and I know there's absolutely no way 
that could be real. Mm. Okay, so for example, where I come from, we make a dessert called panqueques con dulce de leche. Okay, so I walked into my bedroom one day and I smelled that. And I know for a fact, nobody within 2,000 miles of me could possibly have been making that. It wasn't a real thing. It was just a memory and it manifests as an aroma. It's really interesting and very rare, I found. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't know that I ever get that. Yeah. Um, for me, I got, um, when I was a teenager, there's a guy, I, I rode around his car and um, so he'd done something completely stupid the week before and somehow had gotten a bunch of dirt in his car, which had been cleaned out but it still smelled, it's just his car smelled like dirt. <laughs> and um, we were listening around listening to Smashing Pumpkins' Gish. So anytime I hear that album now, that smell returns to me, right? <laughs> so I think of the Smashing Pumpkins' Gish as dirt, <laughs> or at least the smell of dirt. <laughs> dirt don't hurt. <laughs> yes, dirt don't hurt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's one, one that I've always found interesting, that just hearing the first, the if you know the album, it starts off with a little bass drum, like drum lick, and that drum will just boom, the smell comes right to mind. <laughs> so now back to the movie, uh, just to point out that, okay, we have um, childhood trauma affecting a life, and then coming to the realization that the memory was faulty, and the reality kind of alleviates Alan. He wasn't as guilty as he thought. He hadn't actually caused the death of the child. And so that's very uh, much of a relief for him. Uh, but then you kind of switch gears to that, to the intensity of that. Now he's in, a, in another predicament because now he has a Zoe implant that someone wants to pull out, out of his brain. <laughs> and so he's kind of settled his own trauma and, um, there's a release of that, but then he's kind of like, uh, as the saying goes, out of the frying pan and into the fire. And, and the, one of your notes said, some people are just worth more dead. And yeah. I thought, you know, they say dead men tell no tales. But with this technology, that's not true. Well, the opposite <laughs> is true, right? Dead men tell the best tales now. <laughs> Outliving your, your usefulness, right? But... um yeah so <laughs> now the the jim caviezel character he's very much of a um very one-dimensional character because yeah we do find out he's been friends with alan for years and we kind of get a view into that when he himself is watching some of alan's memories uh, look back when he didn't have that fake beard, have beard. And, uh, <laughs> So, and he's hanging out, he's buddying it up, and uh, but we see him just when he's completely um, single-mindedly after the, the memories that he ends up realizing Alan possesses within his own head, and that's like his only focus, period. That is it, to the point where, as you said, he ends up, um, well, you said it in your notes, that he ends up chasing Alan uh, across the graveyard with a gun and he's ready to, I'm going to blow Alan away, just take this implant, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't, yeah, he at, the, at the very end, he recognizes, okay, I can't do this. Unfortunately, he had hired a goon who is there also. And the goons like, whatever, just blows him away. So I did have, a that's thought it. That's that the end of Alan. Or, or, or mercy. <laughs> I, I think it was a strategy of, 
I don't think I'm going to be able to go through with it, so I better make sure someone else is there. <laughs> right. Um, I will. <laughs> one complaint with this film: the guy they had as their like goon character had like an in- intimidation factor of zero. Yeah, he, he looked like a total dweebus. <laughs> like... Oh, okay. I shouldn't say what I said. So he reminded me of But he had a gun. <laughs> yeah, he had a gun. Yeah, but up a, a prior to that, there are many scenes where he's meant to just be there to be like, I'm a tough guy. You know, oh, yeah. It's like, I'm going to have this guy over there talk to you. It's like, yeah. sure, I'll talk to him. Why yeah, not? okay. <laughs> Does he want to throw hands? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. He did look like he just belonged in a dance club or something. You know, he would have been more at home. I don't think it was the same actor, but it kind of looked like the dude from uh, that was in Mad Men. I'm not that familiar with Mad Men. Okay, that's fine. But no, when it comes down to it, I think because they emphasize that I can't remember the character's name, the Jim Caviezel guy. Uh, Fletcher. 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 Uh, since they emphasize that Fletcher and Alan were friends, I do think he actually. Uh, completely relented and he was not going to do it and he didn't expect his goon to just go on with it uh, if he even knew uh, that he was there I mean, the goon's actor it... actually is called Michael Fletcher so that's confusing <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's wildly confusing yeah now name wise um, I'm just like maybe that could be like a I don't know like a, a Fletcher Christian you know him and Bly were buddies till they weren't and he burned the boat down and moved to Pitcairn Island <laughs> let's see Fletcher means arrow maker okay that probably works better than oh yeah take. he is making the the weapon that's supposed to bring it all down so yeah it's got to be on the nose with your names all <laughs> <laughs> the nose enough with Hackman right well so. since we did um Prometheus I'm aware of how meaningful the names in the alien franchise are. Do you want to make your correction? Oh, yeah, I guess I do need to. When we were talking about Prometheus and we realized that I thought one of the members of the audience told us that Sarah is the name of John the Baptist's mother in the Bible, but it's not. (laughs) Sarah is the name of Elizabeth. Yeah, but a lot of the passages about Elizabeth were taken wholesale from Sarah. But I liked the idea that John Connor and Sarah Connor is a biblical thing, but it's not quite. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, that's interesting. So, um, I, I, there's so many things I think we've talked about them before, but then I don't quite remember if it was with you guys. Well, there's so, the problem of sometimes with podcast people, you think you've had yes. a conversation and you just listen yeah. to it. <laughs> now, do you recognize the name uh, within the context of the matrix uh sophia stewart oh um well, the whole sophia thing we've uh, we, we got through that a little bit on the truman show actually where they have another sophia <laughs> yeah no the the actual real life woman sophia stewart mm-hmm. okay oh, she's so the one the actress okay no, no no not the actress no no i think it's the answer to your question we don't know okay yeah okay <laughs> sophia stewart the real life person is portrayed in the mythos as the oracle okay the prophetess right that's based on a real person now or so the claim goes okay now Sophia Stewart wrote a book called the third eye and that was borrowed from to make the matrix franchise as well as the terminator franchise Okay, now what, what she claims is that this 
story came about. She claims to be an actual prophetess. Okay, whatever. That's what she claims. And she was envisioning what would it be like uh, when Jesus returns in the future, right? And so she claims that the Matrix mythos and the Terminator mythos are actually one and the same. And it's, it's her vision, whether real or imagined or just sci-fi, about what would that be like. So she, she said that uh, John Connor, JC, Jesus Christ, right? That's supposed to be um, th that story of him returning in the future and then the machines coming after to destroy him. Whereas in the Matrix, uh, we're dealing with Neo, which is, uh, you can rearrange the letters to be the one, right? He's the one and he's playing the same part. And she told me that even that's why the Terminator goes back in time or whoever uh, the Terminator goes back in time uh, naked. Everybody who goes back in time shows up naked because it's a representation of a new birth. And the Matrix, of course, being a reference to generator, generation, right? The Matrix of the womb and, and all this stuff. For whatever it's worth, that's her actual explanation is that both are one and the same and that's what it's about and in fact i posted on my website a review of matrix 4 based on the script that she wrote for matrix 4 which is is not the one that they're going to use for matrix 4 by the way they're they're making a whole different movie her version of matrix 4 actually pulls together both franchises and that would have been so cool but i guess that's just a bit too much so I've they're going to go with whatever they're going to go with. Two franchises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we bitched out for um, not too long ago. Uh, but yeah, Luke, Luke brought together the Pokemon. and When Matrix I was 12, franchise. I wrote a Pokemon Matrix crossover fan fiction, which is still online. <laughs> I found it. Oh, you found it. Okay, yeah. it's still there. So. Um, but no, my theory was that actually John Connor represents John the Baptist. And so Jesus in that scenario is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> He, he died really for our sins. Yeah, yeah. He likes Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess Dark Fate also put put a wrench in that scheme, but uh, because that makes John Connor like whatever. One of the potential Jesuses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is this has been a huge old tangent. <laughs> okay. It's, but you you like you like Terminator tangents. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I would turn every Terminator podcast if I can. Okay. One more metaphysical salvo at the final cut, then, which is relatively mechanistic with a few glitches as we've seen mm. so thinking more metaphysically being you know the now being the only moment of course what you're doing now affects the future that's relatively obvious cause and effect but there's also the idea of what you're doing now does color the past like again if you're successful all those you know trials and tribulations that were the worst thing ever when they happened that's now those you know magical moments that made you who you are right you've, mm. you've now changed the past well of course an actually metaphysical aspect of the movie is that they refer to what the Zoe implant is doing as quote unquote immortality. Mm. That's how they're viewing it. Now I grant you it's a, <laughs> it's a very sterile sort of nihilistic high tech form of immortality, which, which has no conscious dimension to it, right? It's just a recording of what once had a conscious dimension to it, but still that's that's the way they're viewing it. And this kind of high-tech 
secular concept is that as long as your life has been recorded, then that's a, a form of immortality, which of course would get into the issue of what we've been discussing all along, which is which immortality really, your actual recording of your whole entire life and all that comes with, or the cutter version that, <laughs> that would clean up your messes. Well, I mean, it's like, you don't really know what will be immortal anyway. Let, let's say there's a cataclysm in the coming years and the only surviving piece of media that makes it is Matt and Luke's sci-fi sanctuary. <laughs> that is now the scriptures. Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a link to the past. What we say is sanctuary, you know? <laughs> well, there's um, people throughout history, the idea of like, if I am remembered, that's my version of immortality. Mm. And that's, you know, you know, your Alexander the Greats and stuff, right? Like their way they wanted to be remembered is that all across the huge swath of the world, there are plenty of Alexandrias still there. But in his dying moment, he's like, oh crap, now I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> but was he? Or was he like, yeah, that was good. I smashed it. He nice. Did, <laughs> he apparently did spend some interesting nights in the pyramids or something. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what happened there? But, um, but hey, you know, go back to Arnold Schwarzenegger. When, God forbid, Arnold Schwarzenegger does finally, you know, discard this mortal form and ascend. Like, is he going to look back and be like, oh, well, you know, everyone's going to forget about me in five years. No, he's going to think, okay, I'm going to live on forever in cinema and politics and bodybuilding. <laughs> like, leaving a legacy is the only way we can guarantee that we still exist after we're gone. And we can believe other things, but it's the only one we can guarantee. So well, that's what I'm saying is you, to call that existing is a category error. Right. So, for example, Alexander the Great, who, who uh, the average person might be able to state one single sentence about Alexander the Great. So that's not so great <laughs> in terms of uh, immortal existence. Right. And what about all those people that have come and gone from life and nobody even has a single memory of them? So I'm saying it's just a different category. It is a futuristic, transhumanist, nihilistic, <laughs> reductionist version of uh, immortality, which equates to recording uh, events, experiences. I, you know, it always comes up, would you like upload your consciousness into the right. computer, which I've always, no, I don't think I'm up for that. And then I was like, well, maybe I just make a copy of myself and put that there. I was like, the copy would be really pissed off at me, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you put me here? You know, I don't want to be here. <laughs> it's the copy. It also doesn't want to be there, right? Yeah. If I don't want to be there, it doesn't want to be there. I don't, maybe it would be awesome. And it'd be like, oh, you know, original me, should, missing out, yeah. original me is missing out. Yeah. But <laughs> so now, now that my original is dead and gone, I can finally live it up. <laughs> In, in the computer, yeah. Um, well, you know that I'm on record multiple times as saying I'm very happy to put my brain in a robot at the end. So. That, that was part of the um, series Caprica, which is the Battlestar Galactica prequel, was that um, this girl dies, but she had put all of, you know, she had so much social media and stuff like that. Mm. And before she died, she had actually created a copy of herself, right? So, and the copy just living on a on a flash drive, basically. So, oh, you know what's interesting is um, the movie critic uh, Roger Ebert. Mm. You guys recognize him? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, 
yeah, he ended up in a wheelchair and he was he was unable to speak anymore. Do you recall that? I didn't I actually do. know that about him. No, because no, he still wrote reviews during that period. So, <laughs> so what they did initially is they came out. They were using a computer program, uh, much like uh, Stephen Hawking, but he ended up uh, using a British accent for the audio. Okay. Or Stephen Hawking was British and used an American accent. So. <laughs> well, a, an American accent. computer. Yeah. You know. <laughs> the accent we could do but at now, the time, but. now, here's the fascinating thing. Somebody ended up thinking, now, wait a minute. Roger Ebert has been on TV for years and years. We have recordings of that. So they took samples of things he said word by word. And then they turned that into a computer program so that he was able to actually end up speaking in his own words, in his own voice, because of those years and years and years worth of recording. So he was able to do away with the British accent, sorry. But uh, yeah, he ended up speaking with his own voice because of that technology. And his wife was, you know, it was a beautiful moment when they were interviewing his wife and she's saying what, how wonderful it was to be able to hear him in his own voice again after that. Well, um, the idea of like creating a version of yourself on social media, they are doing. Like there exists somewhere in the cloud, like the social media map. And it's recorded everything you've ever searched, everything you've ever looked at, everything you've liked downloaded bought and they can they can have a pretty good understanding of what you will do next based on that like you've talked about the example of like facebook knew you were going to have back pain before you had it like and like i'm probably 10 times more online than you and it's at the point now where sometimes if i'm um writing a message uh it knows what i want to say before i say it <laughs> like I can just keep clicking the next word and it's giving me exactly what I was going to type originally. Because, yeah, I guess we are pretty predictable. Yes. So if you collect are... enough information, you they can create a version of you which more or less does just continue going on as if you were still here. Um, the, well, the only difference is, does it have your consciousness? Right. It's like uh, the concept of pre-crime. Now yeah. it's like pre-shopping. <laughs> No pre-shopping, <laughs> pre-writing, pre-whatever it might be. So you used to have to do something completely unexpected. I think I'm pretty good at throwing those in now and then. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should probably, oops. What, oh, that was your unexpected thing, was it? Yeah, I did a break. Did you break it? It's actually like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, don't break something you like. But, um, hey, be unexpected at least. Back when I lived in the UK, <laughs> because I had a reputation for being a bit unexpected, um, if I had been quite normal for a night, my friends would just say, Look, you've been pretty stable tonight. And that would that would be my cue. Well, I've got to do something mad, so I'd smash something or get up and take my shirt off. <laughs> but maybe I was just predictable in how unpredictable I was. Yeah, yeah, that was my second thought. So this movie obviously has 
a lot to talk about. We've gotten into that. It does have some weaknesses. Um, <laughs> just I. So that's my, I guess, my intro to the how does it hold up question. As a concept, I think it holds up better than ever. Oh, we've been going on for an hour about the concept. I think we? this film is more true now than it was when it was made. Yeah. Um, but I think it that's pretty much what it's got to give you. But it's only like 90 minutes long. Right. If this if this was trying to be two hours long and it was this so-so of a movie, maybe I'd feel quite differently. But as it is, it's 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 long enough to give you its ideas. And yeah, maybe it's not actually, it's pretty predictable and trope and by the numbers as a film. And it's a bit like, it's very schmaltzy, but it's a film about schmaltz in a way. So you can kind of forgive that. Um, I would say it's worth watching, but is it worth the effort it's going to take you to find a version to watch? Problem. <laughs> that took a little work. Uh, I yeah. typed it into Amazon and Netflix. I didn't even recognize it as a thing that exists. Wow. <laughs> that had to find me a copy. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's that. And then, Again, post Robin Williams' death, it's a, watching a depressed Robin Williams isn't that pleasurable, though he is very good. <laughs> so, and a Robin Williams that dies in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Boot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to, to double up on that. So um, last year we did In Time. Uh, where would you rate this with In Time? Um, I think it's a better film than In Time because In Time, my problem, a lot of my problems with it was that it started. It didn't use its concept very well. Like it, partway through the film, it's just like, it is just a dumb shooter and none of what it was talking about matters anymore. Whereas this did, every event in the film was about its core concept. Yeah, we weren't going to send, you know, 50 something year old Robin Williams to, to make action scenes. Yeah, there's that's, like one little chase through the woods at the end. That's, that's, about that's it. not the time you become an action star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's your Liam Neeson. <laughs> He did Rob Roy when he was younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had sword fighting and stuff. <laughs> so yeah, it feels like if you want a film that just, here's a high concept, we're going to explore it for 90 minutes, it does actually do that pretty well. And because you've got a star like Liam Neeson, there's enough human drama there to keep you no, going. No, Liam Neeson's not in this Oh, for fuck's sake. Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, I mean, on those two levels, it's got enough to carry you through the film. But on it's the, not a, master, a perfect masterpiece or anything. Like Robin Williams, though, that is a completely complete career shift from Robin Williams being, you know, wacky comedy guy in the early 90s and Liam Neeson being up and coming, you know, A-list going to do Shakespeare actor to, you know, insane yep. action star and um, drama dude, you know? <laughs> so. I, I felt like Robin Williams, yeah, he was a wacky comedy guy, but he'd always done yeah, he real acting as pretty, well. He'd right? done Garp pretty early on, so. Yeah. but uh, I, He'd always done a bit of both, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas Liam Neeson just decided to start kicking ass uh, later on, I guess. I mean, eventually on this podcast, we'll hit his true masterpiece, Bicentennial Man. <laughs> Starring Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Talking yeah. about transhumanism. I've never yeah. seen Bicentennial Man, by the way. So. I don't think I have. I don't think I could. <laughs> I did see it back in the day and remember it being good, but maybe it's not. <laughs> um, I just liked films with robots. So. <laughs> So, Kim, what, what's your QC, your, your quality control report on this one? Well, um, as a movie, I definitely enjoyed it as a plot. Like I said, it, it resolves itself. And just when you think, ah, okay, we're done with that. Oh, now here comes, I mean, it, it's not like it's a brand new development. But, okay, now he's out of one problem, and now he's into the next one. And... And it gets resolved basically by um, 
what, what happens to him is what he feared happened to that boy. He ends mm-hmm. up dying, right? Right, right. Well, well the boy already have... died, hasn't he? I guess yeah, that's the not, other bug. He died as a 50-year-old man, not... Right, and he died as a, as a young boy. plot convenience. <laughs> um, the uh, director... Well, I was just about to say, we haven't talked about the director or anyone, and I'm wondering... I, well, I looked his thing up. It looks like he didn't do much, because uh, this seems like if he had kept making movies, this would be like, you know, like that interesting early experiment, right? But right. it seems, uh, let's see, uh, Omar name, and uh, right, yeah, he's he hasn't really made anything since then. He did a he co like two movies since then. So yeah, I, there, this movie shows promise. Like you could see where this guy would eventually make some really good stuff. But um, I guess since this movie didn't really take much traction, it you know he didn't. <laughs> and it's too bad. I think it definitely deserves more attention on various levels. Well, like I said, I think it's. If it had come out almost the exact same movie 10 years later, I think people would have talked about it more. Because maybe people would... But at the time when it released, people were like, no, no one would do that. Who wants to record their whole life? Whereas now it comes out and you're like, oh, right, everyone records their whole life. It was ahead of its time. I think I think it genuinely was, yeah. yeah. So I guess my biggest... I like the look of it, too. I do like the look of it. Uh, so I was noticing that the girlfriend refers to Alan's apartment as a dump. But the little bit we get to see of it, it's very clean cut. It's very, it's kind of sterile because he seems to have nothing like personal, like there's no photos of his parents or whatever, but, but still it's very chic. It's very uh, minimalistic and he's got his little uh, setup equipment there. And I don't know why she, I think she refers to it as such as a dump because she views him as being so so cloistered like essentially unless he's out looking for her and meeting with the other cutters which doesn't seem to happen that much anymore he's pretty much just in there toiling away watching other people live their their lives i think multiple characters say right that he doesn't have a life of his own anymore he just yeah. lives his other people's yeah. lives so. so maybe she doesn't like the smell of rich mahogany <laughs> or, for example, there's the other cutter who has an assistant, and Alan insists, I, I don't work with anybody else. Right. It's a one-man thing. He just That's it. Well, I mean, you know, I, I make music. I'm on my computer, you know, it's like needling out stuff, you know, working post-production. I certainly would not want an assistant on that. So yeah, like, a lot of times people are like, can I help you? And it's like, no, the only thing you can do is waste my time explaining to you how to do this so <laughs> yeah, I, I i thought with him the point was he doesn't have an assistant because his whole brand is he sees things that you don't want people to see so it becomes a bigger ask if it's two people seeing these things you don't want people to see right um yeah yeah i was gonna say when when especially the the smaller kids you know four or five year old kids help i in my head i mean i always accept because they're trying to be nice but I'm, yeah. oh, it's the health that doesn't help yeah <laughs> Yeah, you can hinder me, sure. <laughs> now, I don't want to end the show without asking a question about something in the notes, okay? Uh, it says, <laughs> I remember needing to open doors when teaching in the U.S. Don't well, have to in Japan. When um, when he goes to talk to the daughter, he very clearly opens the bedroom door, which I remember when, if you were in America, when I was a teacher in America, if you were teaching with um, basically a female of minor you would make it a point to always keep the door open 
uh, in Japan, we have plenty of private lessons. It's, it's never an issue. But I, I was oh, I remember needing to do that in America. And wow. in Japan, oh, I'm not wow. really, yeah. I don't really need to. Yeah, so. I hadn't worked with children before I came to Japan. So I was very surprised at how they just want me to like play with them and they'll climb on my lap and tick, we'll tickle them and stuff. And I was like, oh, that would be a big no-no in the UK. Yeah. And uh, Whereas I, here, it's like no parents want to see that. They want to see that they're child is having fun with you sort of thing yeah i actually had um education training in university that's, that's what my degree actually is and they were kind of like you know as much as possible don't make physical contact with students at all yeah. even like little ones yeah <laughs> i here, mean like, I, parents will hand me the child sort of <laughs> yeah i've been a soccer coach and just to do that i had to have my um criminal record and to see if i had any and then uh yeah we're definitely told about it only do side hugs and uh, yeah, all that stuff is definitely in place. But Tragic. Yeah, but yeah, that, that was basically just because I noticed him doing that. I was like, oh, I used around 2004 is when I would have mm -hmm. been doing that because I would have been teaching environmental education and that's uh, a little bit before that's when I did my student teaching. And that was always mm -hmm. a point if you're in the room with, with the female, especially you leave the door open. So, <laughs> But is it, maybe it is yeah. one of these cases where we'd rather create a bazillion Byzantine rules that stop people doing natural things rather than just like, you know, hold the specific men accountable for the things no, I did. did. No, I didn't do it as, no, I mean, as like, stupid. I was just like, you no, know, I, I mean, society-wise, right? yeah. like, is, is it good that we've completely removed like having human contact from eight hours of these children's days every day <laughs> rather than just be better at identifying people who shouldn't be in these jobs? And now we have them at their computer sometimes, which, yeah. uh, <laughs> which I mean, obviously th there are reasons for that, but um, yeah, it's got to, play mind games with well, especially here up. i feel like a lot of my kids don't get much tension at home so they come to me and they get to have a hug and play catch with someone it's like they're really excited about it <laughs> but yeah and now yeah, there now there's places all over the world where we're all into the social distancing distancing thing so kids are being taught to look at human beings as biohazardous mm -hmm. toxic you know just straight in up Japan, we always do keep the distance though the very small children were not but the very small children anywhere will not so it yeah even if i tell them to they're not gonna right? they don't understand <laughs> that they're still gonna pull my mask off because they think it's funny to laugh at my kids <laughs> exactly like i because I, I i shave randomly because i wear masks most of the time now so like you know um because while i didn't have hair i didn't i had to shave like once a month and i enjoyed <laughs> doing that so now i'm like well no one can see me so it's once once a week now basically but i've, I've taught them to just say uh, mask off please rather than come and rip it off my face themselves <laughs> but it, it, they find it very like, i guess they don't see many beards because japanese men can't mm. grow them <laughs> occasionally they can grow a fu manchu <laughs> is that okay to say i don't know i think i, I, I was cancelled yeah so this is the last loop that looks like I think. <laughs> I well yeah we already got through ming the merciless so yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, um, once at work, they had a mustache march, and I won in the most disturbing category because I had a Fu Manchu. I, 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 the night before, I formed it into a Fu Manchu, and I won. Nice. No, I was going around with a beard for about a month because, um, you know, having done treatment last year, my hair was curly. And I was like, if I was clean shaven, I, I looked like someone that would belonged on like a sex offender poster. So I, I was like, kind of keeping a five o'clock shadow. So I didn't look quite that weird. Every every five years or so, I give it a go to see how I look with a mustache. And I always look like a sex pest. So I guess I'm just not old enough to pull one off yet. 
But uh, yeah, not now that we've been busy canceling ourselves here. Uh, can, <laughs> where, can, where can people? Uh, uh, do you have any new books in the coming out? Actually, I did publish one just a couple of weeks ago. It is part three of Hollywood Aliens and UFOs. And I subtitled it Close Encounters of the 666th Kind. All right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, that reminded me of a uh, uh, first, please finish. And uh, where can people get that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, just stop over truefreethinker.com and everything's right there for you. I was just thinking we were on my other podcast, uh, Oral Hygiene, we were talking last week about um, getting deep enough in the internet with what was it, first world problems, second world problems, and what was the 10,000th like, yeah, 10, problem? Yeah, 10,000th problem was it's just written from the point of view of like a, a hive worker and a wasp hive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if the close encounter of the 666 times like that, but with more of the beast. Oh, like, it's, it's, it's close encounters of the like third kind, you've already made contact with the alien. 666 times it's like you're having an orgy with aliens from every galaxy in the universe. <laughs> Just for a number, um, when I was growing up, my family's from Delaware. And Delaware, at least, I assume they still have no sales tax. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they do. But um, near my aunt's place was a Friendly's restaurant with a $2.22 lunch. And I'm an only child. So every time we were about to go home, I'd be like, let's get the satanic breakfast. Cause <laughs> we, all, we all three get the $2.22, uh, <laughs> you know, breakfast. So, cause it was still the nineties. You can get breakfast that cheap. I was like, satanic breakfast. <laughs> it is weird. It was priced that way. <laughs> and it's um, a conspiracy of the plot. Yeah. My conspiracy. I wanted a satanic breakfast, but uh <laughs> And since it's there, I guess uh, you didn't mention your website, right? The uh, truefreethinker.com. He said that's where you get the books. Okay, right. Okay, cool. Uh, do our thing, I guess. Uh, yeah, so if you're listening to this in the year 2021, and you can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash podcastiopodcastius. Uh, many thanks if you already support us, but um, we're just hovering at the level where we break even. So, you know, if you want to keep this online, do maybe throw us a buck. Um, and if you're listening to us, uh, many years from now when this episode is played at our funerals <laughs> then uh please remember that i didn't love any of you <laughs> there we go and may maybe i'll put those show notes on page that's a good idea yeah yes, I, do I, it. I, yes. I have all of them so yeah i don't do it do, do it do it do it do it do it okay and that'll confuse the the people calling your buddy in scotland even more well they understand this podcast it's just they didn't have a clue what your other podcast was when it started showing up <laughs> which is yeah. Oral hygiene. Oh, I'm plugging your podcast. Fuck you. I was going to say, you started saying it. <laughs> <laughs> That's oral hygiene if anyone's interested. So, <laughs> I already did our outro. So, so get out of here. What are you still doing here, listeners? <laughs> We're done. Let's go. <laughs> Cut. The final cut. the dead.